This is Philippe Lewis, and you're listening to NPO Nation with Lorna Liana. Welcome to NPO Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. beautiful visionaries. This is Lorna Liana here and welcome back to another episode of Entheonation where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. I thought I'd switch things up a little for this episode since we've had quite a run of ayahuasca-focused interviews. Another huge passion of mine is the topic of evolved relationships, how to understand what's going on in the mind of my beloved, and how to enroll him in co-creating a relationship with me that is juicy and mutually rewarding. Now, I don't currently have a beloved, but I'm preparing myself to be the amazing lover and soulmate that I long to attract. I've been receiving all kinds of fascinating insights about men from two soul sisters of mine who are tantric educators and professional sex workers. Both of my highly paid soul sisters recognize that their divine calling in life involves teaching men about sacred sexuality and honoring the feminine. I'm amazed that one of them, let's call her Shakti, has no idea what her clients look like until she opens the hotel door. And she's joyfully served all kinds of men, young, old, fat, skinny, regardless of how they look or whether she's physically attracted to them. She loves her work teaching her clients how to perform spot massage and become master lovers. She said to me the other day, it's all about seeing the beauty in and falling in love with another at the soul level. That's what Tantra is all about. I may get her on a future episode. In the meantime, I bring to you my longtime friend and member of my tribe, Philippe Lewis, whose mission is to be, and to teach others how to be, an exquisite lover, starting with understanding what it is that men and women truly want. This episode can be found on entheonation.com slash 11, and I encourage you to share this episode far and wide so that more women and men can get what they want and find deep satisfaction in their relationships. If you would like to receive a free transcript of this episode, it is super easy. Simply text Entheonation, that is E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email to get access to premium content that's only available to bona fide citizens of Entheonation. If you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review this show in iTunes, as this will increase Entheonation's visibility in the iTunes marketplace and help get this life-changing information out to the people who need it. Now on to the show. 
Hello, beautiful visionary tribe. This is Lorna Liana for another episode of Entheo Nation. I'm very happy to have as our guest today, Philippe Lewis, who is a sex and intimacy coach, certified sexological body worker. Ooh, I didn't know that those uh, certifications existed. Uh, He's also a trained somatica practitioner and an epic event producer. And I will definitely say yes to that. I've been to a number (laughs) of Philippe's epic events. So for the past, 18 years, he has been exploring relationships, intimacy, sensuality, and sexuality with individuals and communities through teaching, writing, coaching, and sexy events with the goal of growing men and women into better lovers and better humans. He's a father, lover, partner, husband, teacher, producer, writer, and social artist, social engineer, coach, counselor, and much, much more. Wow. Okay. So... I can say that indeed his love for life is as polyamorous as his love and his sex life. So thank you so much for joining us today, Philippe. I'm really glad to have you with us. Hi, Laura. Yeah, good to see you again. I know it's been a while. So I'd love to get caught up on who you are and what exactly got you to this very interesting profession that you've created for yourself. Because I don't know where it was that I ever saw a job post on Craigslist for certified sexological body worker and uh, sex coach. Wow. Uh, what did I, where do we start? That's always an interesting question. Uh, when I was born, when my parents met. Okay. So I uh, remember when you and school. I first met, you were working in like a high tech company. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then since wow. then you liberated yourself from your cubicle job and you just <laughs> created a purposeful, passionate, like super fun lifestyle and business for yourself. And that is amazing. Yeah, I think, uh, well, so I'm, I'm still going to have to pick. I mean, working for a high tech company, that was a good chunk of time. It was about 10 years. So um, there's, I'm trying to think what would have been a, like a, like an inception moment. Exactly. What caused you to take the leap and say, you know what? I can actually make a living doing what yeah. I love. Okay. Again, still there's like, it's been such a, so let, me, let me take a moment. And I think uh, if I go back, there's one inception moment that really connects a lot of this together it was a moment about 12 or 14 years ago when I asked myself, so what is it that I really love? What is it that really jazzes me up and drives me? And it's going to sound very much like a guy thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. And uh, what it drives, what drove me at the time was women, was my engagement with women and, and the way that they were responding to my offerings, the way they were responding to my moves, the way they were responding to my conversation. And some of it was probably hormone fueled in some ways. Some of it was definitely fueled by having been a nerd all of high school. That's why I said high school a minute ago. I was like, if you ever seen the Revenge of the Nerd movie, that was me. That was totally me in high school. In fact, you know, first year of high school, I had all my books for all six periods, even after lunch, with me with a big thing of pencils and pens, a big little pouch full of pens and pencils and erasers. And I remember my first day, like some little bully, some tiny little bully guy who knows a lot of martial arts just decided to just kind of toss my books and it was really like the scene here I am I just showed up I'm so excited I love science I love astronomy I love growing plants I mean total nerd thing and there are my books all over the stairs uh, I mean oh, as you would see 
see in the beginning scene of a movie. I mean, that's not where it got started, but that's just to give you a sense of where I'm coming coming from. And then uh, a few years later, uh, you know, going through my teens, not really knowing how to engage, I could see there was this thing called being cool and being socially, sort of socially intelligent and knowing what they and the girls, and girls approaching some guys, but not me. And then uh, then eventually I went to college to be to do computer science because I was just I was really loved that stuff and my dad's an engineer and, and I just followed in his footsteps in some ways and then after college being sent to California for training and I ended up hooking up with a girl in my class which is, I'd never done but you know it's like I hadn't had very many experiences and just kind of feeling so good in California that I decided to move and then shortly after that a year or two after that I went to Burning Man for the first time which totally shifted my perspective on everything uh, you know that? so it's like one thing after another Burning Man then sorry California then Burning Man and then there was a point where I realized like I did not want to be in a cubicle for the rest of my life and so I started asking myself like what is it that I want to do what is it that really again back to the same question what jazzes me up what really gets me gets my blood flowing and I realized that it was engaging with women and so from that point I started getting really curious and at that time shortly after Burning Man I joined a troupe called Mystic Family Circus I remember that yeah remember that right so what year was that when you first went to Burning Man. So 98 was my first time at Burning Man. 99 was when I joined Mystic Family Circus. 2000 was when we did our very first ritual performance. And so there I was, I was a street performer doing characters. I would build my characters by just like, just walking to an event or a party or a festival and just finding people to engage with. And I realized this was the perfect place to engage with women and also men too, but you know, women were way more attractive and more way more attractive to me. So I just kind of naturally went in that direction. And the practice of being sort of exploring who I can be in the presence of another person, especially a woman, kind of gave me the space to practice and discover myself in that area and also to get curious because I had an unending uh, number of opportunities to engage and see what happens. So when did you actually quit your day job? That's probably in 2001, 2001, 2002. That was around a time where the company I was working for was Siebel Systems and they were just firing a whole bunch of people. And I realized, wow, this is my chance. So I I said, how about you add me to the list? They fired half the workforce. And to this day, I'll never know if I was already on the list or not on the list. I just you volunteered. <laughs> and then you and became so, fun employed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And from that point, I had a little bit of stock options. I saw money from stock options saved. And so that helped me sort of carry me forward for a couple of years as I developed other skills, such as making chocolates. And, uh, and I, I wasn't doing coaching yet. I was. I did a, a counseling training called Interchange, which is really popular now, Interchange Counseling Training. And you can Google that. My friend Steve Behrman teaches that. That was sort of the beginning part because I'd been with this woman for about six years. I told her I want to explore polyamory, open relationship. I had no clue what that was all about. I just knew I wanted to explore that. And our relationship ended because she wasn't up for that. And that was around a time where I started doing the, the Interchange Counseling Training. And that kind of gave me a basis not only to do my own work, my own personal work, but also to be able to do a similar kind of work with other people. And that allowed me to pursue my curiosity about people and relationships and sensuality and sexuality. And that was around the same time that I started producing events at the time, which were called Mystic Temple of Bliss, which are essentially some versions 
version of a sexy or play party. And again, more space for me to explore, engage. And that space allowed me to become much better and better and better over the years at, at engaging with women. Okay. So it seems like, you know, your primary work right now is oriented around supporting men and women to become better lovers. What does that look like? Well, because I've been through it, it looks like, well, at least my version of it looks like, well, you're in the presence of somebody that you really love, you really enjoy, and there's all these blocks that kind of stand in your way. You might be thinking, oh, I feel really triggered about the, what this person said or what they did. And I know if I just knew what to think, or if I just had a different perspective, or if I just had somebody to support me, I could walk, I could walk to it like it's a walk in the park, but I don't have that. And and so I'm stuck. I just don't know what to do and what to say or how to react. Or I'm already reactive and I don't know where to go from there. And that happens in intimate relationships all the time. And, and very, very early on in my development, I realized there was a part of me that could just kind of sit there and thinking, wow, if I could just step out of this, like it was nothing, then I would definitely be a much happier person. And so that's what I've been doing with people all over in my life, my friends and loved ones or other, uh, and clients who are coming up to me. I'm supporting them and shifting their perspective, having some to love them and nurture them through these difficult times or these places that are more reactive until they're able to grow into something that's a little bit more self-confident, that is more, that is just more confident and has a better sense of what's going on inside themselves and inside other people. So do you work with people primarily in a coaching or mentoring type of role or is some of the work that you do hands-on? Oh yeah, that's the, yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, so so it's hands rain. I mean, I have some clients who are perfect satisfied with just like the conversation and that's where I came from originally I just love conversations and it just so happens that my primary language of love or one of the primary two is words of affirmation which to me occurs as communication and when I'm in communication with someone whether it's in touch or in words primarily I feel most at ease and I feel most gotten and so some people just like words they just like to talk and it's perfectly fine for them some people on the other hand like a little hands-on or to just tell them like do this, do this, and do that. And without actually doing it in their body, they just don't know what it feels like. So that's where psychological bodywork comes in. And psychological bodywork is essentially hands-on sex education. So you teach, I teach people how to have or how to have better orgasms by actually showing them on their body. So they get to drive, they get to decide what they're up for, and I get to sh- sort of show them the territory a little bit. And a perfect example of that is a lot of women, if you're using your fingers on them, or if they're using their own fingers on themselves, if they don't do it very often, they don't exactly know where they're, I mean, they know what they're touching because they're doing it. But if somebody else is doing it, they can't quite tell. So they know that some things feel good. Like I had a client recently who came to me and she said, I've heard of the cervical orgasm and a lot of women have told me about it and they, and I want to experience it. And I know that when some guys are inside of me, that it feels really good and it feels like much better than other times, but I have no idea what they're doing. And I have no idea why their cock is in this particular way doing it for me or not. So what we did is we had a session where I we explored the inside of our vagina with my fingers and of course with gloves I have clothes on it's with gloves we've decided what the boundary is so it's all it's all done in a way that basically it's about serving her I have no desire other than being in serv- full service of what she what feels good to her and she has to be in a space that's receptive and so we explored the inside of her vagina and found different areas that felt much better and we strongly believe that we found that cervical spot the, the deep, what they call the deep spot so that's just 
just an example. And that's called mapping. So mapping is to explore the inside, find out what feels good. And also I would tell her exactly how my fingers were and how deep. So if she were with a lover, she could actually request the same things. That is brilliant, actually, because first of all, it's so difficult for a person to map themselves because like the reach of your hands and like the angles, like you just can't, it's not going to be the same as your lover. And then secondly, to be able to figure out where those places are and then communicate that to a future lover is a skill that no one, we don't get taught this in school. No, not at all. (laughs) We don't get taught. That would be the best sex ed ever. Can you imagine how radical that would be? People, you know, high school kids practicing with each other. That's like heresy right there. It's like part of, like an essential part of sexual education. Like, okay, not only should you learn how to prevent pregnancy, but you should learn how to ask for, you know, better pleasuring for your lover. Could you imagine? Well, that's because that, that would only work if you were in a society that declares sex as a pleasurable thing. And it doesn't matter that that the sex industry is the biggest industry way beyond the car industry and a bunch of other ones put together. But to actually admit that people have sex for pleasure uh, would mean that we have to, that teaching it actually makes perfect sense. And it, uh, it totally go, goes right up against the purity education sort of the the education we got from the Puritans way, way, way back when as a culture. I know. Sometimes I wonder just, uh, yeah, what's going on in the mainstream? I just, I I don't get it. I don't get it. But okay. So what, you know, when you work with clients and when you work with your, the men and the women who are your clients, what are the most important areas of development or their most powerful transformations after they work with you? What do they get? Well, for women, a lot of the areas are about knowing they can have their own desires and those desires are valid and knowing that that's possible because a lot of women and culturally that's often promoted is that women are focused more on what pleases their man and to actually start focusing on themselves and knowing that that's a valid thing to experience and to have that can be a big that can be a big breakthrough now after knowing that it's possible to have your own desires is the next step is to discover what these desires are and it's not always obvious so the mapping is one example to knowing what are desires and also what feels good especially in the body but uh, some you know like, like i would say women have a pretty good sense of what feels good emotionally but not necessarily if what feels good as much what feels good in the body and you're probably a fairly awakened woman and so you've done a lot of exploration that's done consciously but uh, when you're with when you're with a lover and all they want is to fuck or make love or but they just want to play and they don't want to slow down and experiment and try different things then that doesn't open up the space very much to find out well what else do i like what else do i want what else might i want even though it sounds a little strange at first so to actually have that space is something that to actually know that this space is a value space to be and to be able to learn in that experimental space I think is really key for women. Wow that's Uh, so interesting because it's something that I actually only recently discovered and it it was something that kind of like seemed like the norm for so long and then I was like wait a second there's something really odd with the fact that if you look at adult films or videos that it's all most of it it's focused on the male orgasm. Oh yeah of course. Yeah and so then it's like you know then it kind of like subliminally then has a really powerful effect on having women focus on the male orgasm and the men, the lovers that they're with focus on their orgasm. So yeah, so it's really great to be able to empower women in this way to get in touch with the validity of our desires. And then of course, like be able to communicate 
elevate them in a way that like enhances, I think, the overall sexiness of the experience rather than kind of creates an emasculating <laughs> effect, which would not be good for your lovemaking. <laughs> put it in a slightly different perspective, I adding to what you're saying is, well, if we look at women, what are the different areas? I call them the six intelligences. So I'm not, though there's a like mind, body, spirit, heart, spirituality, and social. So those are the six intelligences or like erotic so and erotic intelligence. So uh, if we go, if we look at women, the areas where they, I often see where they could be more intelligent is erotically, sometimes somatically, which is to know their body, to know what feels good, erotically in terms of allowing their inner animal to come out and to be able to drive an experience without them feeling guilty about it. So those are some of the areas, but emotionally women are often very intelligent because they've had a lot of practice. Now, if we turn the tables and we look at uh, men, then men are often not so emotionally intelligent. So a lot of the training that I do with men is about being more emotionally sensitive and also being sensitive to what's going on in the other person in front of them. So it could be at an emotional level, but also be at all sorts of other levels. What's going on in this person, this woman's body? How is her body reacting to your touch? So that's about being more somatically intelligent as well. And But I think one way that men are tend to be intelligent, if not very simple and primitive, it's erotically. Like men could most likely just fuck until tomorrow and not even think twice. The problem is if they if that comes in into a relationship without any sort of emotional sensitivity, then it just feels like they just want to, they just want, 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 want. And there's no, they, they're not able to pace themselves with the woman in order to awaken her own erotic, her own inner animal or eroticism. That's really fascinating. Love this episode? You can receive the transcript for free by simply texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. All you need to do is to reply to the SMS message with your best email address, and we'll send you the transcript and our guide to navigating visionary states for free as a VIP citizen of Entheonation. So then if you were to work with couples, like both a man and a woman, then how would you work with them? Well, it depends. I mean, what whatever I spoke to right now, that's just sort of a rule of thumb. There are, you know, I just had a woman who just contacted me online and just the other day. And she said, I'm a really awakened, very erotic woman. And my man is much more, in, in her words, he is much more you know, feminine and he is much more affectionate and cuddly. And he doesn't satisfy me sexually. So that's just an example of where the rule of thumb doesn't apply. Or you can use the rule of thumb, but you always have to look at each individual and see what's really going on between them. So what I do with couples is I just, we're in a conversation about like, well, what's gone? What's missing? What would you like? What is it that if you had it, that you would feel much more filled? You would would feel much more yourself because the, the main issues in relationship is that, well, you've got two beings and they each have their own values and they each have their own expression of values. And it's when these things are not quite in sync that people are complex. If you had the same values and the same experience, 
expression of value as the next person, and you would just get along all the time because whatever you want, they would want, and or they would want it in a similar way, or they would want to express it in a similar way. So what I look for is the discrepancies between the values, or even if they have the same values, like they say, I want honesty, and the other person says, I want honesty too. And I say, okay, well, how is it that you don't, you're not able to find each other in that similarity? Was you know, and one person says, well, for me, honesty means you go out and you come back and tell me everything. The other person says, well, for me, honesty is I get to ask you questions and you get to answer them truthfully. And it's not the same thing. That is so fascinating, actually, because it's so easy to, like, especially in the beginning of a relationship, think, oh, wow, we've got like all these similar interests and values and all that. And you discover that the, the difference is there's a lot of devils in the details. I recall in my last relationship, we both believe in community. But my idea of what community looks like is very different from what his idea of community looked like. And so then we had this major conflict because I didn't want to join the community that he was offering me because that was not the community that I felt safe in, for example. So, okay. So that's really interesting. So what do you think the most important thing is for anyone in a relationship to remember if they want the relationship to work out so that it is a mutually fulfilling, empowering, juicy, positive experience, having experience? Well, I would mention two things that are that kind of go hand in hand, if I may. Okay. You said, what's the most? And I'm like, oh, this is hard. You know, on top of like recognizing values and expression of values, I would say, first of all, is to realize that relationship that is to approach relationship as an opportunity for growth. You're in a relationship in order to grow. And the second one is, it is whatever happens, it's all an, it's all part of the grand experiment. There is no, what, what did they do that in AB, in website design? Like there's the AB testing. Half the people go to the one website look and feel, and the other people go to the other site with a different look and feel. And then you get a sense of what works and what doesn't work. Well, you know, in your relationship with somebody, you only have one person to test with. There's no A-B testing with this person. You either do it one way or you do it another way, and you see how they react. And then it might be in a different mood. There might be something else going on. And so to be in a relationship means to always be experimenting and always trying to figure out what works best, what doesn't work as well. And there's no, I mean, you can do do do-overs, but the essential you're experimenting live with this person all the time. It's like there's just one take. There's not five takes. So then how would you use relationship as a crucible for spiritual growth? So when I see relationship, I agree. Like relationship is a great opportunity for growing. Now, you know, you can grow and then it gets uncomfortable and you stop and you move on to the next person. Ah, Or you can decide to like stay in the fire and like let those challenges forge you and, you know, where you emerge into a more magnificent version of yourself or you crash and burn. (laughs) So like, how do you know, like, how do you use it? And like, as a principle for spiritual growth, and how do you know when it's time to, if you need to just sit in the fire some more, because it's going to make you a better person or whether it's time to like, you know, flit on to the next person and the next person and the next person where, you know, if you keep doing that, the same issues are going to keep emerging just with different names and faces because you haven't actually worked on those issues. Well, I mean, this is like the age old question. When is it time to break up? I mean, it's so, that is such a, I mean, it's generally such a difficult question. I mean, there's like a, I mean, if you think of the hero's journey and how the hero goes through all these challenges and then faces the abyss and gets through the abyss, I mean, in hero's journey sections of uh, of story, uh, that when the hero faces the abyss, that's when they don't think, that's when they think they're going to die. You see this in all movies where there's a hero. They think they're going to die. They think they're going to, oh, they're going to be destroyed. And then something inside rises up to get them to go one step further and then they vanquish the dragon they get past that 
difficult thing. Well, so here's the thing. Everybody who leaves a relationship, when things getting a little too hot or too crazy or too hard, that's they will never know if they had stayed one more step if they would have like gone through it. So that's one thing. Like you can never quite tell. You what you have to be able to discover for yourself is what's your ability to be what's your degree of resilience. Because what happens is if you keep on meeting the same fire every day all the time, it could erode you over a long period of time and then you sort of like forget you sort of like you realize you're not who you were before that happens in situation or you become something else you become a different person it kind of shifts your compass you don't really know who you are anymore so situation where there's trauma or abuse in a relationship it works like that like you six months later or a year later or five years later you're like you talk to a friend and your friend says you're not the person i remember you are you're much darker you're not as happy and that's when you realize wow this relationship has totally shifted me in a way that's not me or that's not who I want to be. And then you can get the hell out. But there's also the, there's also a way that a relationship can push you towards growth. So then we get into the conversation of like, what are your boundaries? What are your soft boundaries and what's your hard boundaries? So I'll give you a quick rundown. The soft boundaries are the things you can push up against. And when you push up against them, it forces you to grow. But you also have a certain, you also have to have a certain pace because if you do it all the time, it might actually damage you over time. So same thing for working out. If you're working out every day and you don't have to give yourself a chance to heal, then you won't be, or you don't get a chance to recover, I'd rather say, then you'll always be sore. And at some point it might, it might actually affect your health. But then there's a point, past, there's a point where past the pushing of soft boundary, you reach what's called a hard boundary. And when you reach that hard boundary, if you pass, if you go past it, it will hurt you in some way. And you'll have to have, you have to have a space for healing from that, like real healing where you have to process, you have to understand what happened, you have to understand and integrate it in a way that can take a long time. So what I'm saying is that the point where it's time to get away from the relationship is when you realize that it, it's no longer just a soft boundary that fosters growth, but it crosses over to a hard, it crosses over past the hard boundary. And what does that look? Well, it could look like you're engaging with somebody who doesn't have the same values. Usually that's what it means. Basically, you're engaging with someone who has values that are so radically different than yours, or their sense of reality is so different than yours that it actually either erodes you slowly or impacts you tremendously and you can't see straight anymore. Your own sense of values, your own sense of self, your own sense of boundaries is destroyed either quickly or slowly. Wow, that was just such wisdom there. Thank you so much. Wow, I'm going to mull that one over. (laughs) And listen to that again. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It was pretty packed. Sorry. (laughs) No, it was great. It was perfect. Okay, so. Oh, yeah, one more thing I just want to add. The biggest deal around this is to is you have to know what's okay for you you have to know where your soft boundaries are when your hard boundaries are that's the hard work that's the hardest work because you're discovering it's boundaries are not something that you just know i mean some people think they just know but mainly these are things that you, you test against so for example for weights well how do i know how much i can bench press one time well there's only one way i can find out is to actually go about and do it so i would try 100 pounds okay i can do that okay no, but but then can I do 200 pounds? Can I do it now or can I do it in a day? Okay, so I can try both. But when you're in a relationship, you don't necessarily have that opportunity. And so things that you get pushed in all these different ways. And then sometimes you feel like you're like, it was a soft boundary, like, okay, I'm growing and learning. And then you realize, wow, I'm not recovering from this. And that's how you know that it went over from a soft boundary area to a more like a transgression, more like a pass crossing into the hard boundary. Uh, and that's how you know, you can only know if you're 
you're getting hurt. So being in a relationship is a cauldron, but it's also risky. I agree I- completely because I mean, I can say like from my own personal perspective, I am a, an entrepreneur and a self-employed individual. So if I'm involved in a relationship that's really emotionally disastrous and draining a lot of my energy, that has very real effects and okay. a very real impact on my ability to generate income and pay my own bills. So yeah, relationships can be risky. And for me, you know, maybe that does limit the the extent of my intimate relationships, but I do kind of have a bit of a kind of like a gauge, so to speak. So if the relationship is starting to dip into negative, then it's like, no, I can't do that because I have to protect my business, my livelihood, my clients. You know, that is my prime, my work, my body of work that I'm creating in the world is probably my, well, you know, it is my primary priority because it's also how I feed myself. Right. It feeds you in different ways too. It feeds you emotionally and feeds you energetically too. Not just how you pay the rent and how you get food on the table. Absolutely. And it doesn't have the same safety net as, you know, being an employee does. Whereas like, you know, you can have a really bad day or really bad week or month, but you have your job and basically your employer is absorbing the cost of your, you know, lack of productivity during that difficult (laughs) time. And like you're clocking a paycheck and if you're checked out or like, you know, disappearing on like longer and longer breaks because you're on the phone arguing with your, you know, partner, like you can get away with that. But like, you know, if you're self-employed that it's going to have a real impact on you. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to wrap up this really fascinating conversation because we're at the end of our segment. I'd love to ask you, well, two questions. So first is, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, relationships and like men and women and how to try to, you know, have relationships that are successful and work and are fulfilling. What do you think are the main differences between what a man wants and what a woman wants in love relationships? Because I see like getting that right is a key to the longevity and fulfillment of a a love relationship. So well, it's interesting you asked for that because I just posted a blog post on my website called the five called the gracious graceful connections, the five keys to what women want. So that's a good start. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I would say that women mainly and it's interesting because what I'm going to say is something that applies more to people. And it's just a matter of what it looks like. So in my blog post, I say essentially women want to be gotten. Women want to be held, accepted, loved, supported. But in a way, they just want to be held or gotten. They want to know that somebody else knows who they are so well that they feel helped. So that's what I, that's what all my experience and all my research and all my personal experiences with lovers have led me to believe and led me to see. And then the flip side of that is I think men want that too. And what that looks like really is dependent on their ability to perceive it. So I would say that men are more likely to want that in a sexual way. Although men are very emotionally intelligent to, no, sorry, women are very emotionally intelligent because men are not so much they can't necessarily receive being held in an emotional way but they can be they can receive being held in a sexual way a lot more and then women on the other hand would want to be received in an emotional way because they can receive that really well they can perceive that and see that somebody is there for them in this particular way much more easily because they can because they are they're much more intelligent in those areas so I think even though men are as emotional as anybody else I think they're not as intelligent around it Meaning that even though even if if an emotion arises, they're not actually in a, they're not as able. And I say this again as a rule of thumb: will not apply to all men. And in fact, if it doesn't apply to you, awesome, because that means you're a little bit more emotionally intelligent than most men. But I'd say everybody feels, and it's a matter of somebody else getting how we feel. And I'm not 
just talking about feeling emotionally, but also feeling with our mind, feeling with our body, feeling with our inner animal, feeling spiritually. If somebody can approach you as a person and feel you in all these different ways, then you will feel fully gotten. And if you feel fully gotten, then you feel connected. And if you feel connected, then you feel at one with this person and you feel like you found your soulmate. And I think this applies to both people. It just looks different because of their capacity to receive that love and to express it too. Oh, so you brought up a really interesting term that I've been trying to really grapple with too. So soulmate. So what Mm -hmm. are some of the characteristics of a soulmate relationship? And do you think it's something that already pre-exists? So like you meet someone and you really resonate with them and you're like, wow, that person's my soulmate versus, you know, you meet somebody, you're like, oh, he seems kind of nice. And then like get to know him better. And like, and then eventually it's like, this person's my soulmate after like maybe two, five years of working on it. What are your, Mm -hmm. what's your take on what the elusive soulmate is and, uh, (laughs) and how to make a soulmate relationship work? You're uh, you're not asking me the the easiest question today. Oh my God. I want to (laughs) know. I want to know. Well, I'll give you my best shot. So soulmates, uh, characteristics of soulmates, I'll put common values, uh, similar expression of values, not necessarily the same growth that feels like it's at the right pace. Let's see what else would I put in there? A similarity of movement, like an energetic movement, which means like, you know, wherever you're at and wherever they're at in a similar place. So you're dancing together and it feels like you're dancing in the same dance and to the same music. Let's see, soulmates, that deep connection, like a deep connection that doesn't get broken up all the time. And also somebody who can get you in the same way that they, that you can get them. And ultimately we get down to like a particular synergy that feels growthful, that feel that makes you feel more alive, which also means often, but generally also means that it's pushing you in a way that's causing you to grow, but it's pushing you to grow in a way that feels right, that feels it's the right pace, that takes into account where you're at, that takes into account what's too scary, where you don't want to go, that takes into account what you desire for whatever reason you desire these things. So when you have two people doing that together in this really beautiful and deep way, then you can call that being soulmates, or at least in my interpretation of it. At the same time, you have to understand that when you first meet somebody, there's a ton of chemicals that are rushing, running in your body, and you're sort of not, you're sort of on drugs for a little while. And those kinds of drugs are the drugs that make you feel like you're even more connected and actually causes you to even more, to be even more flexible at the beginning with a total stranger so that you connect more deeply. So a lot of people will express love in all five love languages for the first few weeks or months. And it's the romantic phase of the relationship where you're basically building up all these positive experiences so that when you start doing the real growth, it doesn't come from left field. It's a gradual process of like perceiving this person as like almost all fantasy and a little bit of reality and that reality grows and the fantasy then gets smaller and smaller and you're starting to really see the person and you're starting to really see the diversity and the richness of this person, not just in the common experiences you built together, but also you start to see more deeply in their soul. And that's a whole new type of intimacy compared to I feel close to this person versus I can see deep into their soul. But it all contributes together to create this graceful dance and that if you stick with it and you're willing to learn, you will go into that deeper dance. And you look, you go talk to anybody who's been together 
together for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, grandparents were still together, parents were still together, and ask them, like, is being a soulmate all it's cracked up to be? And they'll give you all sorts of different answers. But the main thing is they're still there, still doing the work, even if they it's a light in a light way, even if they're just hanging out together day in, day out. Yeah, they may not be in a, this full-on growthful trajectory, but they're still together and they're still doing it. So that can really, that can be very meaningful for some people. And so some people are all about growing fast. Wow. Okay. Well, that was very juicy information. Thank you so much for your time here with us today. How can we best stay in touch with you, Philippe? Okay. You go to my website, exquisitelover.com. And it's both for men and women. I see that every person needs to become an exquisite lover. And when I say lover, I don't just mean in bed. I also mean in all possible way that we can love each other. And whether it's in conversations, in emotional connection, in bed, in the ways that we dance, in other ways that our bodies engage together, in the ways that we're spiritually connected, in the ways that we show up in the world together in our in, in within our community. I think these are all ways that we can love each other and we can win and we can become better lovers. So exquisitelover.com. Thank you so much. You have a beautiful day. You too. That wraps up another episode of Entheonation. If you think this information will enhance your love life, please link to entheonation.com slash 11 and share it with your Facebook friends. If you like the show, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review Entheonation in iTunes. This increases our visibility and helps this life-changing information reach more people in the world who need it. If you would like to get the transcript of this episode and more consciousness-raising content delivered straight to your inbox, simply text ENTHEONATION, that is E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. Just reply to the SMS with your best email and never miss an episode. I want to sign off with a super sexy track from Emancipator called Soon It Will Be Cold Enough to Build Fires from their album Live in Athens. (laughs) 